Hey there, and welcome to What Works. I'm your host, Tara Gentili. On What Works, our goal is to break through best practices, transcend conventional wisdom, and put theory to the test. To do that, we talk to real small business owners about what's actually working for them right now and deep dive on the who, what, how, and why of how it all works. Today, I'm catching up with Marie Poulin, the co-founder of the digital agency Okie Dokie, for another special live episode. Marie is a designer and digital strategist who helps small business owners translate their one-to-one services into profitable digital products and programs. She co-founded Okie Dokie with her partner, Ben, and together they run Doki, their platform for delivering online learning experiences. When she's not working with clients, you can find her climbing rocks or playing in the garden. Marie Poulin, welcome to What Works. Thank you so much for joining me. Hello. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. All right. Just a quick reminder here. If you are here with us live on Crowdcast uh, and you've got a question for Marie about what's working for her in her business, how she does something, uh, maybe you've got a follow up to one of my questions, you can use that ask a question button at any time to join the conversation. It's right there under the video area. Uh, And really anything is fair game. Uh, We'll let Marie decide if she doesn't want to answer it. (laughs) But if you've got a question for her, about whatever uh, she's got going on in her business, how it all works, uh, what the component parts are, just let us know, uh, and we'll see if we can get you an answer for that. So Marie, you ready to get started? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. So I I would really love to focus our conversation today on how you've optimized what works at Okie Dokie, because I think you're at a point now with your business where it's not just figuring out what works, but really taking what works and and well, taking it to another level, really optimizing it, amplifying it, and creating systems and processes that make it easier for you. Um, But before we get into that, I'd love for you to kind of explain the scope of what you and Ben do at Okie Dokie. And that's also always kind of evolving. I think when you have a software business that kind of uh, throws you some curveballs, as I've I've sort of mentioned to you before, but... um, Ben is technically the sort of CTO co-founder, so he does most of the programming um, and any sort of technical support on the side of our software, Doki. Um, I handle more of the design, the marketing, the sort of uh, public-facing parts of our of our business. Um, the majority of the work that I do tends to be one-on-one with people who are, um, they come to me with an idea, usually for a course, but sometimes it's just some uh, a desire for leverage of sorts, so sometimes that might be putting an ebook together. It might be putting a training together. It's just how do we take what you're doing in a one-on-one capacity and kind of scale it so that you can reach more people. So I tend to help people through that process, help them launch their idea. Again, sometimes that's in the form of an online course, and sometimes that's also using our software, but you know, our services are you know tech agnostic, and so we can help people um, use the, the software that they're already comfortable using as well. So that's the majority of the work that I do. I also do some coaching programs as well with people that are looking to launch the first version of their course. Um, partnered up with Stacy Howe Lot to do Run Your Learning Launch, which is basically build an MVP of your course. Um, so that was something that I've launched twice now and I will revamp and, and kind of relaunch again. So a bit of coaching, a bit of one-on-one, um, and of course, a bit of the sort of software side of things and marketing that. So that's that's in a nutshell what we've been doing. Incredible. So you're really a hybridized kind of model. You do a little bit of everything when it comes to getting people this one very specific result, which is a 
a great way to 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 do business, I think. So let's talk more about Doki, the the software side of your business. Because yeah. when last we spoke on the podcast, <laughs> and Marie has been here before, so if this conversation is interesting to you, go back into our archives and look for my previous conversation with Marie. Um, but I'm curious, just how's Doki been evolving since the last time we spoke? Um, what's kind of been going on behind the scenes that has allowed you to improve it, to make changes, to, to mm. get it to where it is right now? Customer research, customer interviews, free <laughs> calls. I mean, the, the stuff that you will do as a software company goes, uh, I mean, the, the amount of time that you will spend just learning about customers, you know, for free, I sort of see it as like paid market research, right? So uh, what I would do is I would schedule in my calendar, whether it's every week or uh, at least a few times a month, it's just blocked off time in my calendar just to talk to people and just to find out, um, even people who aren't customers. Um, so I, I will, you know, touch base with existing customers to find out kind of how they're using it. And, you know, we can see the analytics on the back end too, of kind of who's launching, how many students they have. And so we can see some of that, but of course it's so important to have those conversations with people to find out what's missing, you know, what do you wish it did? What other services are you using that kind of plug into it so that we can build those integrations? One of the first things that we did that I think was a huge advantage was building a Zapier integration really, really early on. So that way other people could plug in if they were using, you know, ConvertKit or Drip or whatever else. That way we could connect those things, even if we didn't have a sort of built in automation for that yet. So that was super handy in the beginning. Um, one thing that we've we've integrated now is discourse integration, which has been huge for people that want to run a forum side of, of their course um, and even automating pieces of that. So if someone sells a certain package, it'll automatically grant them access to say locked content within the discourse mm. uh, thing that you're, they're using. And I think um, Tammy in the, in the sidebar there mentioned that that I think she, her client was one of the first people that we sort of built that integration for. So there's, it's a bit tricky, but you're always kind of weighing these these requests for features with sort of what's our vision for the platform? Where do we see it going? What are the trends that we're noticing in the marketplace? And I think when we first started building Doki, we were solving our own problem. We were not enough in conversation with real people who had similar problems that they wanted to solve. So we made a lot of assumptions about what it, we thought it needed to be. And so I think maybe a year after launching was when I went back to the drawing board and was like, we need to be in conversation with people constantly. We need to be really, really um, in the midst of this feedback and, and just making sure that we're really in touch with what's happening. So I think it took some time to kind of... Um, almost like course correct. Like we were so focused on like a course platform. We weren't really looking at the bigger things that were happening of people just want more leveraged ways of working with them. Mm -hmm. So how can we create something that um, in a way streamlines the process of offering leveraged offers, whether it's um, combining course material with one-on-one -on -one support, right? Like just looking at things from a slightly different perspective than just, I want to sell an evergreen course and sit back and wait for the money to come in, which we know is, is very unrealistic. And so in the process of talking with people and, and seeing people use the software, we realized there was a lot of educational gaps. And so that's mm -hmm. really where Run Your Learning Launch came out of. So I had to start building these consulting services that kind of started to fill the gaps that we were noticing because people would sign up for the platform and then they'd go, oh my gosh, I've, I forgot how long it actually takes to produce a course. And they were sort of almost assuming that the tech was going to just make that happen. People would have 
they would procrastinate. There was imposter complex. There were all these other pieces in the mindset and, and even just knowing the logistics of how do I produce a training um, that I had to start to fill those gaps with our services. Because at the core, we're a services company that sort of, we built this sort of side project that took a life of its own. And I realized that it wasn't sustainable to um, only keep doing these services over here and have the software over here. And I'm like, how do I talk to these two different people about what's going on? And I needed to find a way to bridge, um, create bridge services in a way and products. So yeah, it's evolved quite a bit, but it's, it's, um, the majority of people that are using it now are people that are not just looking at it as a course, but maybe they have training that kind of plugs into other ways that they work with people. In some cases, they might have you know in-person trainings, but they include a, a resource library along with that for their clients. So people are kind of bundling this training and this learning in interesting ways with the sort of hands-on masterminds or one-on-ones. And so we know that the features need to evolve to make that a lot easier for people. Gotcha. So it sounds like two of the assumptions you made at the beginning were sort of how people were going to use the software specifically for at the beginning, you thought online courses. Um, And then also that your software product and the services side of your business were going to be two separate things. Um, What were some of the other assumptions that you made early on that through customer research, you've kind of proven to be untrue or that you've gotten you've realized there was a different need or opportunity? Um, a number of things we noticed, um, people, you know, again, people's tendency to procrastinate, um, most people haven't gone to teacher's college. They don't necessarily know what makes a great learning experience and courses are not just bundling your blog posts and and an ebook, right? So there was some, one thing that we did notice, a lot of people were asking us for quizzes in the beginning, right? Like, well, quizzes show that people, like, we can improve that retention with quizzes, which is still kind of a Band-Aid, right? So at the mm-hmm. end of the day, if, you're, if your content isn't really focused on transformation, um, so what I noticed was that a lot of people were building courses without talking to their customers. So they were making the same mistake I did when I built the software. So I started to realize there was a there was a gap there where people weren't really in conversation and they didn't really know what the underlying emotional needs were of someone wanting to, to maybe take a training from them. Um, so that's where my services started to evolve towards helping people write their sales pages, helping people write the funnels, helping them understand what makes a transformational course. Um, Most people would make the mistake of trying to build like a year-long program, trying to cram everything that they knew into one gigantic course. Um, And I think... I think that's a huge miss, and I think it, it makes it a lot harder to market, right? When you're trying to solve every part of someone's business problem, it's like, don't worry, we'll teach you how to hire, and then this, and then this, and then this, and it's 12 months, and you know, people's attention span maybe can't can't handle a 12 month program. How do you keep that momentum up? There's lots of different problems that come up. I think when you try to to cram too much into a large course, so I just started to notice. Again, people weren't in conversation enough with other people. And that's kind of where the the learning launch kind of became um, encouraging people to do more customer research and just get out of their comfort zone and talk to strangers. Don't even just talk to your customers, but I I want you to talk to prospective people and strangers and take a look at what people are saying in forums and and have a process for that, for collecting that data and that feedback so that you're not you're not building the thing that you you are assuming that that people want. I love that. Can you tell us about maybe a more recent feature that you guys have added to Doki and, you know, what kind of customer feedback inspired that feature? 
I mean, the biggest one recently is probably discourse, um, okay. the forum functionality, um, because again, this is this is the tricky thing. I'm sure you know you have opinions on this too. But so many people are comfortable with Facebook groups, right? That's kind of where people have traditionally been spending their time. It's like includes access to our Facebook group, and. I mean, I personally have a lot of resistance to, to Facebook as well. It, it is a bit of a distraction. You know, I set up the, the newsfeed eradicator. So when I log in, all I can see are the links on the, on the left and, and my groups because it's super distracting, right? And so there's the, the combination of personal and business. And I think there's a lot of potential with what's happening for business owners. But um, so we, we would have people that would launch a course and would also have this sort of side Facebook group. Um, but lots of people don't want to use Facebook and aren't comfortable using Facebook. And that's totally fair. So one of the requests that we had was to use a tool like Discourse. Discourse is a really awesome um, forum functionality. It's, it's highly customizable. You can do a lot with it. Um, so that was kind of the first. We didn't really want to be a membership site like i think there's other like mighty is a really amazing mm -hmm. um you know member focused tool like they've started with kind of membership in mind and so ours was more um training focused or transformation focused and not everybody's courses require that student to student learning like especially with coaches so a, we do have a lot of coaches on our platform and so a lot of times People don't want other students to actually be be sort of sharing information. And so we kind of had to ask ourselves, like, was, is this a direction that we want to go? Do we mm. want to go into the membership model? Or do we say, you know what, Mighty does that really awesome. Let's focus on these tools over here to make it easier to facilitate maybe masterminds or whatever it may be, or that one-on-one -on -one coaching alongside a guided training um, so yeah, discourse was, I think, a kind of nice in-between to make sure people could have some of that forum functionality, but without us trying to reinvent the wheel for services that I think do that really well. Yeah. I love the thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that perspective on like, <laughs> how, okay, this is how this feature fits in with our vision. Um, because it is really easy to say, okay, everyone wants to do membership sites now, which by the way, is not actually true, but I've heard that multiple times. Yeah. Um, and so you could say, well, all right, well, we're going to turn down into a membership site platform and we're going to figure this all out because this is where the you know the rest of the current is going um but i love that you said okay this is what people are asking for how does that work for our product how does that fit into our vision how do we make this a differentiating factor and not just a, a me too kind of thing um that's oh. such a phenomenal approach i, I really appreciate that well, I think that's the hardest, that really is the hardest part, I think, because whenever you're in software, I think inevitably, if, if you're solving some kind of problem, chances are other people have noticed this problem and you're going to see a lot of other competitors constantly. Like it's, it's kind of a never ending um, battle with yourself too, of like, well, where do we fit in the market and where do we want to fit into the market? And when people ask you for certain features, how do you prioritize and weigh, yes, this makes sense because we can see things are moving in this direction or where is that a shiny object and, and where should we say, actually, someone else does that really well. And I have no qualms about actually sending you to the one that actually solves your, your problem better. So there's probably lots of other software owners that would be like, you're crazy. Why would you ever do that? But I'm not going to recommend someone to use the software if I know it doesn't make sense for what they want at the end of the day. And so in some cases, that might mean I miss out on that revenue. But in other cases, it can mean, oh, we actually can coach you through that process and we can help you like hold your hand while you do that. So and it's easy for us to sell those one on one services. And at the end of the day, it's sort of we can let's be realistic. We can make more more money with a coaching like a 
$7,500 coaching ag agreement than say a $49 a month <laughs> software that, that has a certain life life mm -hmm. cycle to it, right? So that was kind of a tricky thing too of navigating how much marketing effort do we put into a software that has a much lower monthly price than say our consulting. And so how much of our, of our time and energy do we want to put in each of these different places? And so um, prioritizing feature development versus marketing, like it's always a bit of a balance of figuring out where do we put that effort um, when you're dealing with something at scale where numbers, numbers matter when you're trying to, you know, it has to, has to be a certain uh, monthly recurring revenue to make it worth your effort. So yeah, it's, it's constantly in flux and we're always trying to, to figure out what that balance is, but we know we can't be everything to everyone. We know that there are really great tools out there for memberships and, and other things. And we just have to kind of notice who are the types of people that are attracted to our platform and what are the features that make sense for them? And how can we talk about it in a way that people are like, oh yeah, like they totally get it. They get yeah. X, that's, that's their thing. And that's taken some time to, to figure out. We're still nailing that down. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, I'm curious, and, and maybe the answer to this is, you know, we don't know or we're guessing, and that's totally fine. Um, but I'd love to hear a little bit more behind the scenes of sort of what that decision-making process is between how you balance prioritizing a product that could scale to a huge degree and how you balance that with services that pay the bills right now. Because, you know, I think a lot of our listeners, while they may not have a software product in their back pocket, they are thinking about volume products in one way or another, whether it's books or it's inexpensive courses, or maybe it's in-person workshops. And they think about like, okay, well, I could sell a hundred of these things at $10, or I could sell a thousand dollar coaching package. How do I balance that out? Do you have a system that you guys have worked out or do you have a decision-making process that you've worked out uh, as to how you balance those two things? I think this is definitely the ultimate challenge that I think we have for sure, because again, it, it just is easier for us to sell one-on-one -on -one services or web projects or whatever. Um, and so I think for us, what we have to do is say, what's what's the amount of revenue we want to bring in every month that feel like covers our butt, feels sustainable, we know bases are covered. And if we've covered that with say our one-on-one -on -one consulting, then it's like, great, we've we've locked and loaded, like we're limiting that to three clients. Now we, need, we know that we need to focus on mm. uh, spending the rest of our time and effort scaling this product. And, you know, some months might be a little heavier on the client side where some months, um, and not even just some months, but I'd say like, you know, uh, I use this sort of 12 week year, planning. It's like, so for the next three months, I have like three project, three projects that are my main focus. And one of those might be marketing Doki. And that's got, there's got to be a bucket of time for that. And that's a real heavy focus over those next couple months. Um, so there are, I think, times of the year where clients get a little bit more focused and times of the year where Doki is going to get a little more focused. Um, that also kind of plays in with like September's or, you know, January, there's times of the year where you know that launching is, is maybe a bigger deal for people like with the school year and that sort of thing. So I wouldn't say there's necessarily a system for it, but we need to make sure that our bases are covered with that income so that we feel good that, okay, we know that we're investing maybe a bit of our time somewhat unpaid now for the hope that this will, will scale in the future. So yeah, it's, you got to cover your bases financially, I guess, before you, or at least, at least be mostly covered so that you 
built in a bit of time to work on the stuff that won't pay off now, but pays off in the long run. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And it sounds like, I mean, bottom line, you're just not leaving it open ended. And that's, I think that's a big mistake that people make, right? Is like, well, you know, I will, I will work on getting more clients, or I will work on getting more members for my community or more users for my software. When really, it sounds like you're super clear that, okay, for this month, for this quarter, I need three clients, or I need five clients, I'm going to go out and get those. And then everything else, is gravy. And that it sounds like that's a, that's a really good system for you for balancing. So you've been talking around one on one services uh, a, a lot. Um, and I'd, I'd like to kind of go there next with our conversation move, not move away from Doki, because I, I mean, part of this conversation is about how all these things work together now, <laughs> which is awesome. Um, and speaking of which, um, I'd love to hear more about how incorporating Doki and incorporating this real focus on helping people build leveraged products, um, digital products, courses, transformational learning experiences, how that's changed uh, the way you personally offer one-on-one services? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, probably when we last spoke too, Digital Strategy School was a big part of what I was doing too. And that was yeah. that was bringing in all the revenue that was paying for us to be able to spend that time on, on Doki. Um, but very quickly, again, realized that the time that I was spending, it almost felt like I had two separate businesses and, and each thing takes its this marketing effort. So again, built these services to kind of complement Doki to hopefully make that marketing a lot easier. Um, so yeah, the way that I do the one-on-one services is sort of, it, it's moving more toward this. Oh, and we also happen to have a product that solves, you know, solves that problem for you, but it's again, totally fine if, if people don't need that product. Um, but so a lot of what I'm doing now is again, teaching, teaching people a little bit more to have, um, an experimental mindset. Like, yeah, we're going to test if this offer makes sense for your people. Let's let's test it instead of you spending six months doubling down on it and then wondering why nobody's going to buy it. So uh, I think a big part of what I'm doing is kind of pushing people to get a little more comfortable with with that imperfect process, testing out MVPs, everything being a hypothesis, which I know you can relate to as well, like that living room strategy, like let's let's try it and see how that works. And so I'm kind of coaching people through holding their hand, being like, it's going to be fine. And if this doesn't work, that's just great data. And we can figure out was, was the pricing off or, you know, did you get maybe not get enough interest on that sales page? Maybe it's not worth doubling down on. Maybe you need a smaller way to, to test that interest. So sometimes I'm talking people out of creating a course and I'm saying, <laughs> actually, that's like, that's like way too, that's like a two year goal. Why don't you just start writing some blog posts right now and just start testing if people are even, you know, rapidly consuming this information. And if not, it may not be the right time or, um, you know, like Stacey Howlott says, courses fall out of your one-on-one services. So if anyone comes to me wanting to do a course before they've kind of done it in a proven method over and over one-on-one, I usually say it's maybe time to go back to the drawing board and make sure you've got a process you can kind of stand behind, then you can automate that and turn that into a course and, and whatnot. So I'm not sure if that answers your question. Yeah, totally. And what's working for you right now in terms of finding one-on-one clients? Are they just coming to you? Is it word of mouth? Are you actively 
going out and finding them? What does that look like? <laughs> uh, it's definitely been mostly uh, referrals and word of mouth for sure. Um, some clients I've been working with for, you know, two, three years um, and in different cycles as well. So we will get them launched and then maybe within three, six months, they're ready to launch that next new idea. Um, one thing that has worked for me really well is with this sort of MVP mindset is, you know, when someone comes to me, they have an idea. I can see that it's probably a lot bigger than they may have capacity for. Like mm. it's sort of the ideal version of, of what they want to create. And I'll say, great, why don't we work together over the next quarter to do that MVP version of it? Like what's what's the minimum viable commitment, you know, that we could get from, from a customer to see if that works? So inevitably that process lends itself well to like, oh, well, now there's a phase two and a phase three. So I feel like that naturally lends itself well to working deeper and longer term with people. And, and that's kind of worked well to kind of turn what would have been a one-time arrangement into a much longer sort of lifespan with my clients. And just that trust gets built and they're like, you know my business and you know me and, and we go really deep together. So I need fewer clients. You know, I'm not always kind of having to hustle for that next client. It's, it's in a way almost easier to upsell a client that I'm I'm working with already that, that, that trust is already there. So I don't do a ton of marketing for the one-on-one -on -one stuff. Uh, it, it has tended to be pretty straightforward. And I think when you get really specific with your position of, yeah, we help people create trainings or courses or whatever, it becomes a lot easier for someone to say, Oh, I know the person mm -hmm. you should ask about that. Right. And it was, it was kind of funny, but when we built Doki, um, we originally were building that to make it easy for us to build websites for our clients. Um, but so now it, it's kind of funny how it has, um, I wasn't a course person before. Like I wasn't the person that knew all of, I was just thinking that I, I wasn't the course expert from a, I was a web designer who worked with other people who created courses. And I was working with a lot of people that had membership programs like Natalie McNeil, um, had the conquer kit and things like that. So I got to see a lot of people, kind of from behind the scenes, but I wasn't the expert on, on the curriculum production. And that's really when I hired Stacy and, and she, she took a look at digital strategy school and, and kind of helped me like break it down and like why this is too much information. You're not starting them off with a win. You're starting them off with a gigantic audit that shows them all the problems in their business, like all these little things that I didn't really know about courses. So really working with Stacy highlighted if we are going to grow Doki and if we are going to know about this space, I'm going to need to move my services towards this space. And, and I definitely went through that imposter complex of like, well, can like, should I even be doing that? Can I be doing that? If we have the software, how, what's my bridge to, to make sure that I can get people there in a way that is in integrity and I'm not trying to, to sell something that I, I don't do. And that's where it was so fun to partner with Stacey to, produce a coaching program because she could get really deep into the curriculum side of it. And learning from her in that process has really helped me then help my one-on-one -on -one clients. In some cases, I've even sent my one-on-one -on -one clients to, to do their their one session with Stacy as well to make sure like from a mm. adult learning perspective that that they're really uh, making sure that they're they're sort of crossing their T's and, and dotting their I's. So yeah, it's been, man, it was a process to go through and figure <laughs> out like, is this is this me further being a generalist? Does this make sense? How do, how do we, we build that bridge? So it only took three, three years to figure out. No big deal. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm so glad that you brought it up though, because I was literally standing here thinking, 
she has become an expert on building courses through building this software that builds courses. And maybe that's yeah. a duh to somebody else because now when it's coming out of my mouth, I'm like, well, of course she she did. But I don't think of you that way. I think of you as a phenomenal web designer, right? And so like yeah. I'm I'm thrilled to find out about this transition. And at the same time, like I can imagine the internal angst that went on in that process and sort of the realization that this is occurring and this is what people are coming to me for. And so, you know, I'm glad you brought up the imposter complex and and that whole piece too. Um, You also mentioned that part of what you do with one-on-one clients is helping them break down a project into phases or helping them identify that what they think they're building may actually be what they're building two years from now, not right this moment. So it sounds like a big part of uh, what works for you getting people on board or and getting deals closed is actually managing expectations and kind of pulling people back and uh, saying, hey, you know, maybe not right now. Do you have like a a particular approach or strategy or script that you use to gently tell people, yeah, you're not ready for that. <laughs> yeah, I do. And and a big part of that is in my initial proposal. Um, so one thing that, that really works well that I'm happy to share is I, I sort of had this standardized proposal that is, here's how we work. Here's our philosophy. Here's what the process looks like. And here are a few different ways to work together. That's mostly the same from client to client. I have a few different iterations and kind of versions of it where I'm like, oh, I know if they are already past idea mode, I can send them this proposal if they're in this mode. So I've I've created a couple of those, but right there in that copy is like growth and launching is a process. There's things that we're going to go through together that like results are not guaranteed. I can guarantee you I'm going to bring my best insights to the table. Um, But like any of this, it's an experiment. It's a test. Um, I'm going to give you my best insights. But really, uh, you know, we're going to take this in phases. And the whole point of it is to get that feedback to find out what to do next. So I'm not really making those those promises about, yes, you're going to sell your course and you're going to earn this much and it's going to look like X, Y, and Z. And, and part of that too is in those initial conversations with people, I can say I have clients that's taken them two years to build a course and I have people that did it in a weekend, right? So when you're dealing with all these different individual motivations and, and working styles and procrastination, people work differently. Some people have different life needs. They've got a family and and they're trying to balance their clinic while also raising a family. And that's that's part of the process. So I acknowledge that right in my proposals and just say, you know, everyone's a little bit different. Here's my guidelines for how long I think it should take. And we generally do this over the course of three months. But if we have to kind of shift gears and and we realize that your ability to produce content, or maybe you don't have the team to help you with that, that's going to kind of make things go in a different direction. And that's totally okay. So I'm quite honest in the it's a process. It's it's very flexible. It's organic. Sometimes we make decisions on the fly. Sometimes it's like, oh, actually, it sounds like you really need help with the sales page side of it. Let me hop in there and help you. And it's quite organic that way. And, and that works really well for me. And um, and I think my clients tend to like let you know let go a little bit and say, like, oh, actually, it can it can be a process. It can doesn't have to be all perfectly locked down before I launch it. Nice. Awesome. Uh, Just as a quick follow up, uh, Jennifer asks, uh, can you share Stacy's information? You've done a great job plugging Stacy a lot. Where can we find her online? (laughs) I mean, I know Uh, Stacy, but you tell them. (laughs) I I know Stacy has two sites. I think I think it's teachaction.com, I think might be her site um, or Stacy Howlot. 
H-O-W-E dash L-O-T-T. Stacey Howlott. Um, yes, yeah, she's been you. She's been really, uh, just really helpful. Like we, when we launched Learning Launch, we were, I think we did eight calls. Um, so every Friday we would meet up with a small group of people that were building their course. And I swear the amount of value per word that Stacey offers is so <laughs> good. Like she just just nails it. There's no fluff. She gets right to the point um, and says it with love. Like she can, she can give you a, a backhand that, that feels like a kiss. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Stacey is brilliant. Uh, all right. Let's talk automation because one of the things that you mentioned to me in our little pre-interview is that automating your workflow has been like a really key part of how you and Ben have optimized the business and really made things work because it's just you guys that you don't have assistance. There's no big team behind this digital agency. It's you. Yeah. Uh, can you share a process automation that you're especially proud of and kind of how it works with the behind the scenes on it looks like? Like? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the the main automation is on the Doki side, where Ben Ben uses Slack to manage all sorts of different integrations. Um, so again, if like someone signs up as a trial user, if anyone uh, puts through a support request everything can kind of get managed in Slack and there's a lot of interactivity there so he can mark something as I've addressed this or, or whatnot. And that actually helps him keep his inbox pretty empty. So like Ben is zero inbox guy. He, he does a lot better at that than I do. Uh, but those Slack integrations and using Zapier and, and using uh, Intercom, Intercom mm -hmm. is uh, is really amazing for that that sort of live chat feature. Um, so, I mean, that's that's one thing that's made it easy for Ben to reply really, really quickly. I think people are sometimes surprised. They're like, holy crap, I didn't expect you to email me back so quickly, but it's all kind of automated on that side. Um, a lot of the automations that I do tend to be with Drip. Uh, that's the email marketing platform that I use. Um, Ben's in the chat if you I have any inter integration questions, <laughs> uh, which is great. But um, yeah, I do a lot of stuff in Drip and a lot of the really complex automations that I do tend to be for my clients. So for example, I have a chiropractic client where um, someone will sign up using a really beautiful type form and they'll indicate kind of preferred time of appointment. Um, she even gets them to do a bit of like a health assessment, like how do you rate your own health mm. with a few different questions. All of that gets automatically added to their drip profile. So she can actually narrow in and send people different emails if they if they say like, I feel like crap or like I'm just looking to optimize my energy. And so there's a lot of stuff that we're doing with Typeform and Drip to kind of do some really advanced segmentation and automation that's been really fun to do and happy to, to chat more about that if that's useful for people. Very cool. Very cool. I love it. We use uh, Slack in a similar way to manage orders and things like that when we need a, a little bit more of a personal touch, which is often. Um, all right. So one, I want to put in a plug. I've got a couple more questions for Marie, but if you've got a question for Marie, if there any, you want to follow up on anything that we've talked about today, maybe there's something we haven't talked about today that you want to know how it works for Okie Dokie, uh, how Marie handles it, what it looks like behind the scenes, go ahead and use that ask a question button under the video area and we'll work those questions in. Um, now, Marie, I know you guys also have like a really thriving uh, interest in things that are not your business, things like rock climbing. <laughs> Yes. like permaculture. Um, how do you guys find time to work on those outside things um, and maintain a balance with your business? Well, I think it helps that we we work from home and we live in the woods, so we don't have to commit, like we don't have to um, 
commute to work. Uh, so, and the sun is shining outside and I, I just look outside and I see all of my my garden outside. So it's sort of like, how do I find time to work? When, <laughs> That's when probably a much better question. <laughs> I feel the same way. Yeah, it's it's so important. I, I just think um, I, I can do the work. I, I have the stamina when I've made time to enjoy my life. And like, what's the point of, like I I mentioned, I'm doing a talk um, at MicroConf next week, actually, and I'm using permaculture as an analogy for um, sustainability, right? Because permaculture is all geared around uh, building sustainable systems. And so in business, we have to acknowledge that there are things like, we may be a bottleneck, the fact that there's only two of us, there's there is a certain bottleneck there. But we also have to acknowledge that we appreciate the certain freedoms that we have to choose how we spend our time and to be able to enjoy our life. And so sometimes that means we won't make as much money because we've chosen, no, I don't want to add another client because I know what that means for our schedules. And But at least being intentional about those those choices and decisions. And, and so being in the garden, doing the rock climbing, that stuff is so important so that I can bring it and be 100% and full on when I'm doing client work. Yeah. So can can you give us kind of just like a rundown of what an average day looks like for you? Um, well, so I do I do theme my days, and I I still have kind of stuck to the sort of ideal week thing that we that we might have chatted mm-hmm. about before. Um, I feel like I tend to be like way more go with the flow and organic, so I need to like force myself to have some some sort of imposed constraints. So my weeks tend to be Mondays are for okie dokie and marketing. And we used to do this on Fridays, but I found you almost don't take it seriously in like the end of the week on the Friday. And I thought we need to put our, our business first. So we put it on Monday and we treat it like it's the most important thing of the week. And we figure out what things need to happen throughout the week. Tuesdays and Thursdays tend to be a little more client focused. Um, Wednesday is like the sacred day that nobody can book. <laughs> and that's usually for content creation, you know, um, working on, on product design and that sort of thing. Um, and Friday is a bit of a buffer day. Mm-hmm. Um, I also have like, you know, Thursdays for booking things like interviews and, and that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, each each day is a little bit different, but they tend to be pretty focused in terms of those blocked off times. Um, and I have those as repeating events every week. They're repeating. And just as each day goes, I adjust and say, oh, that actually took two hours instead of three. And I just kind of adjust day by day, but it gives me sort of a something to plug into. And that way it kind of helps me figure out, are my client days full Okay, well, then it means I probably don't have time to to bring on that next client. And if I do, that's fine, but it means something else in the calendar has got to go and and I get to at least be intentional about that that decision. Yeah. And then does that allow you to get out on the out in the garden on a daily basis? Does that allow you to get to the gym on a regular basis? How does that fit into your week? Yeah, I mean, we try to go two days a week, um, usually in the evenings anyway. So it's sort of like after the after the day is done, we get out to the, the climbing gym. But yeah, in the summers, I mean, I, I'm devoting a lot more time out in the garden in the summer. Um, so yeah, I make sure that to make time at least half an hour to an hour a day in the garden every day. Sometimes that's just after lunch or something like that, depending on the schedule. But yeah, it's, it's a priority for me. I put it in the calendar and I have little emojis in there too, because it's, it's got to be fun and yeah, so I love. That. I need to start putting emojis in my calendar. That sounds really fun. <laughs> All right, last call for questions for Marie and how things are working in her business. Marie, can you give us sort of a rundown, or or even just tell us about one exciting thing that's coming up for you guys in the next three, six, twelve months? 
kind of random, but we have our first paid acting gig. Super okay. random. Uh, tell us more. <laughs> it's, a, it's a really small thing. Um, it's for the YMCA of Greater Vancouver, and they're doing sort of a lifestyle uh, video series on kind of how, how different people are using the YMCA space here on the Sunshine Coast. And so I get to be the sort of corporate leader, and, and Ben's a camper, and we're doing like... Um, you know, like retreat activities, like archery, and then also presenting in front of a group and just showing some sort of like team building exercises. So very random, but kind of a fun thing. How to did do you on get that gig? <laughs> a friend of mine is a videographer in Vancouver. And, uh, you know, when she had this project on the coast, she's like, is this something you guys would be interested in? I said, sounds <laughs> random and amazing. Why not? Um, I also have a retreat coming up on the coast too, like a permaculture five-day retreat that I'm really looking forward to. And then, yeah, I speak at MicroConf next week. So mildly intimidating, you know, 200 mostly Ruby developer guys. And I'm going to talk about permaculture as it applies to software. So that should be interesting. <laughs> that should be interesting. Yes. Um, all right. We do have one more question from the audience. Tammy says, uh, I thought that when, uh, uh, or she's, she's referencing when you stopped, uh, when you said about stopping thinking of Doki as a course creator and more about leveraging time, she says, can you tell me more about that? What was the thought process? What was the strategic process you went through in your head as you started to realize more about how people were fitting Doki into their businesses or maybe what the opportunity you saw for people fitting Doki into their businesses was? Yeah, there was a lot of uh, pieces to that. But I think um, one thing that we would hear is people say like, oh, well, but I like I've heard, you know, online courses are dead or, uh, you know, I don't know if I I need an online course. And so I I think people were almost limited in the way that they were thinking about an online course. So I was like, do you share the same information with all of your clients over and over and over again? That's an opportunity to create a resource library. Oh, resource library. That's awesome. That makes so much sense. (laughs) Or, you know, have you thought about an onboarding experience for people that you're coaching so that each week they kind of know what to expect and they have downloads and, and you can drip that content out over time? Oh, that sounds amazing. But so people were maybe cringing when they hear the word course, but when you say training or program or resource library, they had a different reaction. So in my one-on-one calls with people, I knew that people wanted to leverage their offerings. I knew they wanted to reach more people. So I'd say really it was more like a marketing shift in the way that we talked about the product. And it's almost like the product plugs in to help you do these different things. It's not really just about creating a course. So it, it, it kind of became, um, in a way, an opportunity to reframe and and talk about it slightly differently, Um, you know, like reach more people without losing the intimacy of your one-on-one services and that sort of thing. So it just kind of changed the way we talked about it a bit. It kind of opened up the conversation and um, got people more curious about trying the platform. And and again, it also helped us open up some of the features because we want to move more of the features toward being able to book your call with your teacher right within the platform mm. as well. And the teacher being able to manage that more easily and, and being able to track how many of the calls have people used and, 
you know, have they shown up for those masterminds and just being able to kind of manage that a little easier in one place. Yeah, I love that. So it, it's not just changing how you talk about the product, but changing how you think about the product, too. And I, I think language does that for us. When we learn new ways to communicate about things, it actually changes our approach to them and it helps clarify what it is that we're actually building here. Because if you were just building totally. a course platform, it would look very different than building something that's for to help service providers leverage their time better, right? Those are yeah. two very different products. And we'd have, you know, um, we have a couple different masterminds we're in with with other software people, which is also really key because again, we were totally brand new to software. So to suddenly be with people who have built multiple softwares and sold them or, you know, softwares of different sizes, it's so important to get um, other insight from from other people. But um, yeah, it's it's been it's been an interesting process to figure out like where do we want to be and where do people perceive us in the market and how do we talk about that uh, and there's there's no shortage of course platforms out there and um, yeah we in a way we had to kind of use our weakness as a strength like we had to say we actually help people do the process of the launching like we will take you there we will take you from idea to launch Gotcha. So yeah, we could, we, I feel like we kind of had to address it in our in our marketing. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Well, you've told us so much about how Doki works, about how you guys do what you do at Oki Doki. Where can we find you online? Where can we find out more about uh, Doki and what it might be able to do for us? Uh, yeah, you can check out weareokidoki.com, uh, which is our agency website. And you can check out doki.io, D-O-K-I.io, if you want to see what we're up to there. Um my mariepoolin.com is is pretty outdated <laughs> so you can either follow follow me on twitter at mariepoolin as well if you ever want to chat um, but yeah that's we're, we're most active on twitter i think uh, and instagram as well actually i was gonna more, say if you want to learn about permaculture follow marie on instagram <laughs> i find it fascinating <laughs> My journey into permaculture. Yeah, I yeah, love exactly. finding out about everybody's little quirky yeah. hobbies and side hustles and all that good stuff on Instagram, the platform. Yeah, it's, it's so, so fun. fun. Awesome. The stories, I love, I think the stories are just such a great way, I think, to give people that extra insight into kind of who you are as a person and, and why you do what you do. I think it's, I don't know if, if you find this, but I, you sort of inherently feel more connected to the people that you know, people's businesses that you're, you're supporting. And so I, I want that little more personal sneak peek behind the scenes. Totally, totally. Yeah, no, I feel like I have close personal relationships with the people that I follow on Instagram stories. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, if anyone uh, is not using that yet, but is curious, it's worth experimenting with because people will get obsessed with what you're doing behind the scenes. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. All right. Well, Marie Poulin, thank you awesome. so much for this conversation. Thank you so much for, for sharing how Doki and how, how the agency with Ben has evolved uh, over the last year, year and a half, I think, since we yeah. last talked. Um, this has been a really great conversation. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. All right. Well, whether you're listening to What Works for the very first time or you're a loyal every week kind of listener, the co-commercial team and I want to thank you for your support. Our goal with the What Works podcast is to shine a light on how real small business owners get things done, earn trust, make sales, and further their missions. Look, 
I know you're used to hearing from experts, gurus, and coaches about all the things you should be doing in your business. You're juggling more balls, rings, and flaming torches than you can count. You know how that juggle works. (laughs) But hopefully what works is helping you see that what, well, works is normally pretty simple. You don't need all the shiny objects and flaming torches to have a successful business. You need a plan and a few key things you and your company can use to gain visibility, nurture prospects, and close deals. Until you do that, you can't have a thriving, sustainable business that can stand the test of time. Of course, figuring out what your unique system and set of tricks is, is no easy feat. That's why we here at CoCommercial created the What Works Business Immersion. We're rethinking small business education from the ground up. The immersion is an eight-week interactive deep dive into into learning about how your own business works, not how the gurus think it should work. The immersion guides you through eight themes that help you take a fresh look at your business, or as one of our immersion participants said, the immersion is all about unlearning all the things that haven't worked for your business and building a stronger business because of it. Now, the immersion isn't an online course on business building. It's not a workshop and it's not a coaching program. We provide the raw materials, reading or listening assignments, prompts and questions, and then we create a live interactive space for you to explore in. Each week you meet together live to reflect on the week's theme from a variety of angles and break out into small groups to discuss your observations. We'll examine, pick apart and put back together again the challenges you're facing in your business and all the opportunities you can take advantage of. Plus, when the eight weeks is up, you still have 10 full months of support in the leader circle at co-commercial, which includes our weekly flash masterminds and co-working hours. The immersion helps you close the gap between guessing what might work for you and knowing what does work for you. I'll be sharing more about the What Works Business Immersion in the coming weeks, but if this sounds like exactly the kind of next-level business experience you've been looking for, you'll want to get on our wait list. Go to cocommercial.co slash immersion. That's cocommercial.co slash immersion. That's it for this week's special live episode of What Works. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you enjoy listening so you never miss an episode. While you're at it, leave us a review and share this podcast with someone you know who would appreciate it. Today's episode was produced by Shannon Paris and edited by Marty Seafout. Our theme music is by The Shrugs. Tune in next time for another look at how small business owners actually make it work. Thanks, Marie. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.